Daddy, no, Star Wars. Shit, that's Star Wars. Fucking John Williams. John Williams, damn you! I was, I, could do it, but then, okay, okay. No, I'll forget the dun duns because you've already done that. I've done the movies. It would be Superman's dad's dead. Jonathan, his dad is dead. Yes, Superman's dad is dead, and this is Daddy Issues. We're back to talk about our favourite father and son moments from from media, from pop culture, from films, books, comics, whatever. We just finished episode two about the the many deaths of Thomas Wayne, so we're going to go on to a lesser character and talk about the uh, about the fathers of Clark Kent, Kal El, the Superman. So, they, we, we're doing this episode right off the, the back of the Batman episode because we got into a little bit of a debate um, surrounding the movie Man of Steel and the portrayal of Jonathan Kent there. You're a big fan, I'm not a fan. So walk me through your arguments so that I can destroy them. <laughs> well, you've set me up for <laughs> fall there, haven't you, really? <laughs> Gee, jeepers, mister. Wow. <laughs> It, it just came to my mind when we were talking about Thomas Wayne because I mentioned that the Thomas Wayne deaths, as in terms of daddy issues, has never really, have never really got to me before. Uh, but something that gets to me every single time is when Jonathan Kent dies in Man of Steel. And I know you don't like that film. That's fine. That's your opinion. And fuck you. And like, but I'm also, right. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Okay. And I think, but I think part of it is that I think that that relationship between Jonathan Kent and Kalil is developed in a really beautiful way, and that the the that kind of um, that because I don't know if it's mentioned in Man of Steel, but maybe in other iterations, maybe in Smallville or whatever, they mentioned that Jonathan and Martha Kent wanted kids, but that they couldn't have their own. So mm. what one is very much literally dropped into their laps, and they have to raise this this child who turns out to be a god amongst human beings. Um, yeah. But yet they, what what I've always liked about the Superman story anyway is that he's this farm boy from like middle America. He's raised as just a normal kid, a normal American. He's mm. not he's not like Bruce Wayne. He's not raised a billionaire. He's yeah. just a normal, Salt normal guy. Salt of the earth, exactly perfect, yeah. um, perfect description. But something that's done really well in Man of Steel, I think, is yeah that development of Clark Kent growing up and the lessons taught to him by his his surrogate father by Jonathan Kent. So you get you can get a real sense of the the impact that Jonathan Kent has on Clark's life and his morality, a bit like what we talked about with um Batman and Thomas Wayne, but all done it's only ever sort of a skim off the surface whereas in at least in Man of Steel and in other Superman movies too you really can you can see how much of what, of what and who Clark is is because of Jonathan Kent. Um mm. Which maybe is a disservice to to Martha because I'm sure she was just as important, but they really play on that father son relationship because of its dichotomy to the Kal El Jorah relationship, which he doesn't have until he's already a grown man. Yes. So when oh, spoiler alert, obviously when Jonathan Kent dies in uh, Man of Steel, it's after you've had all of this build up and after you've gained an affection for that relationship and for him, and also the selflessness of the act where he's 
been teaching Clark Kent not to use his powers or show off his powers and to seem normal because people won't understand and it'll make his life difficult and you know he's only been looking out for him and in the moment where he and Clark both know that Clark could save his life it would be in front of a bunch of people and what's more important to Jonathan is Clark's Clark being safe and being you know having a, a simpler life and not having the stresses that would come with being open about who he really is to the point where he'll sacrifice his life to, to maintain his son's uh, anonymity, mm. which is great. It's just, it's so, I find that so affecting and especially in comparison to Thomas Wayne, it's just like, because that moment is just a freak incident of uh, a mugging turn, that turns into a murder. There's nothing anyone can do. And as we talked about, regardless of the actions of whichever Thomas Wayne we see, besides the Flashpoint one, which we touched on, um, but no matter what Thomas Wayne does, he and Martha will die always over and over and over again. Hmm. And at least with, with Jonathan Kent, we've seen it done in a few different ways. And being a Zack Snyder film, <laughs> Man of Steel is a bit yeah. more, it's a bit more uh, <laughs> over the top and an epic way to die. Get swept up by a tornado. Fuck. Yes. It's much more impactful, I suppose, than... Well, impactful physically, because in other iterations, like we've um, we've been looking at the, the Richard Donner Superman and Smallville mm. as well, where it's a heart attack that takes him, which is much more tragic because I don't know about more. It's more tragic than Thomas Wayne to me, but it's tragic in the realm of Superman because this is an all-powerful character, a god, like I say, walking amongst people, and he could have saved Man of Steel, Jonathan Kent, from a tornado, but he can't save. Smallville or Richard Don Superman, uh, Jonathan Kent from a heart attack. This is one thing he just can't do. But having, yeah. Yeah, so having yeah. said that, I think those those the heart attack deaths are probably even more dramatic than the uh, the, the tornado. <laughs> but it still gets to me. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I much prefer the the heart attack ones. <laughs> oh God, this is awful. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I I much prefer the the heart attack ones because they're there is more of a focus there upon um it, it's humbling right it is it, as we are saying with with clark kent here he is a god he's a literal god among men um and it's a, it's a matter of choice and of principle and the fact is that with the heart attack death of jonathan kent there is nothing that he can do and exactly, he is all-powerful, and there is no possible course of action he can take, like, aside from him, Matrix, neoing his hand into Jonathan Kent's chest. I was just thinking about um, that, actually, yeah. Yeah, and then just, like, fucking pumping it until it starts beating again. Like, that's the only possible thing that he could do. Um, whereas with the tornado, like, it's Superman. Right? Like, if he wanted to, not only could he rescue Jonathan Kent, he could run around that tornado so fast that it would reverse the polarity or whatever of the tornado and the tornado would no longer exist. Yeah, like he, he would yeah. count, yeah, neutralize the tornado. Like, a, a, a weather effect is nothing against him because he is Superman. And yeah, he's not actually Superman yet, he's just a boy. That's the, yeah, but, I think that's the point there. Is yeah. he's, not, he's not Superman yet, yeah. he's just. Yeah, but that, that even even if he can't physically stop the tornado, which he probably could, like he could have saved everybody from there instantly, and everyone would have survived. But he doesn't because of some secret 
that goes against the teachings of every other version of Jonathan and Martha Kent that exist. Because what the way that they raise Clark is a matter of being selfless, right? It's saying whether whether people should not know about your secret. We don't want people to know who you are or what you can do. But if you have the chance to save somebody, you save them because yeah. it is somebody's life. Whereas in this one, Clark Kent pulls those kids out of the, the river, right? The bus oh, drives the bus, in the river. Yeah, yeah and then John, uh, Clark Kent pulls them out. And Clark's like, what should I have done? Let them drown? And Jonathan Kent's like, yeah, probably. Well, okay, all right. He says, maybe. I get what you're saying here because he doesn't go, no, you're absolutely right. Always save people if you can. He goes, I'm not saying it. I'm just saying it's not that simple. There's something like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. But he says, no, Clark Kent says, should I have saved them? And Jonathan Kent says, maybe. No, should I have let them drown? And Jonathan Kent says, maybe. Because this idea is that Clark's secret is more important more than valuable. the lives of a, bu- a bus full of children. <laughs> full of children. Yeah, that's right. messed up. It oh. is messed up. And that's my problem with this Jonathan Kent, is I'm watching it going, he is not a good dad. Like, if, my, if I saved someone's life and my dad was like, you know, you shouldn't do that because, you know, the attention you'll get would, would, be, would be terrible... For like, I, I don't know, and I'd be like, Dad, what are you talking about? Like, I think what I can, like, the only way I can relate to that is that when you, like, life is complicated, and sometimes it's not, there isn't like a, a, a gold standard, a black and white answer to if you can save somebody, always do it always because that's better than the risk you take in doing so. Yeah. Because, I mean, because, yeah, you understand why Jonathan wants to protect Clark's secret. But it's not as simple as, you know, always do it except for this situation or, you know. So I get that it's complicated and he's only trying to do what's best. But I guess that makes it's quite nice to see that he's quite fallible and he's not he's not like godlike as a father figure. Like we've talked about before, can we say see our fathers as these imperfect, uh, sorry, these perfect, um, flawless people until a certain age when you become a man and you go, oh, wait, my dad was just a man, too. And yeah, he's flawed and he's just human. And, but um, yeah, I'll be honest that I've not actually, I've never thought about it in those terms before. Um, in terms of, yeah, sure, of course, save a Bart's load of kids from drowning. That's, that should, yeah. go without, I should go without saying, really. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's what I think what you're, what you're saying is true. Um, but there is another element to that. Like, yeah, we, as we grow up, we see our fathers like as, as the men that they are. But in, uh, Batman versus Superman. When we get the the mountainside scene that you just you were just rewatching, like it's made clear that Clark still idolizes Jonathan Kent over everybody else. Absolutely, yeah. Right, Jonathan Kent is still his idea of what a man should be, and this man was willing to let a busload of kids drown as long as his son's secret was safe. Right? Yeah. I get that it's it's his son, and you protect your child in all situations, but. There is, there is a darkness and a selfish aspect to that Jonathan Kent that uh, I think it's perfect for the Zack Snyder DC movies, which are always dark, right? Everything is dark in, in this world. So, of course, Jonathan Kent is also dark. But one of the things that is beautiful about Superman as a character, one of the things that transcends him above other characters 
is that he is above those decisions that make the world grey, right? Isn't for other people it would be like, oh, I don't know if I can jump into that river to save the drowning person because if I do that, I might die. And what about my kids, right? Like we we are always balancing whether or not we should do something against like that. We're balancing the morality of doing something against the real world implications of doing like of taking that action. Yeah, of because our 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 world is full of grey, right? But for Superman. The, the risk comes from not doing the thing that is right. And he is a... What is great about him as a character is that he is a character that exists in black and white because he is so powerful that unless there is, like, I don't know, magic or, you know, a literally kryptonite involved, he will always do the right thing because he can always do the right thing. He's not bound by whether something is right or not because... His parents raised him to know what is right and what is wrong. And he acts on what is right and what is wrong. He doesn't act on a world full of grey. That's what Batman does because his world was dark and his parents were murdered. Uh, so for me, the heart attack is a, a cleaner version of the Jonathan Kent character because we see him as a, as a good, honest farmer. And in that Richard Donner version that we were just watching... Um, Clark Kent feels neutered, I guess. He feels a bit like he's a bit of a cuck. He's like, oh, I, I want to play football, but I can't. They were, my parents won't let me play football. Kind of like that teenage. We get a lot of that in Smallville as well. Like uh, uh, two seasons of that in Smallville. Um, and Jonathan Kent uh, basically says to him, uh, uh, the line was, Clark Kent says, would you tell a bird not to fly? That kind of thing, right? And it's like, no, like of course you you have you sh you should fly. You have to fly when it is when it's right for you. Um, and then he dies. And his his parting message with with the heart attack is: it is a humbling moment for for this all character god, all, all powerful god who can always do the right thing, except in this instant because it's you know natural causes, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's done so well that scene as well. We were just talking about how nicely that shot of them walking up through the field and Jonathan's got his arm around Clark's shoulder, just being that yes. paternal that paternal figure and he kind of he kind of brings Clark around to, you know, understanding you know, I'm sure he's had the conversation a bunch of times, but just letting him know that this is just the way things are and you can you're meant for so much more than scoring yeah. a touchdown in a football game. And Clark sort of jogs off to play with the dog. He's kind of happy in the end. And then that's when the tragedy strikes. And the, the, actors, yeah. the actor who plays Jonathan Kent there just does such an amazing job of it. Like that, he does. That real sudden... I want to find his name because he's Glenn Ford. He, right. um, yeah, he just the way his face turns when he realises something's going on. And that, and he's like, I think he just... All he says is, oh no. Like he knows exactly oh no. what's, what's happening. And in that, mm. oh no, you kind of sense not just a, oh no, I'm having a heart attack. But he's the kind of altruist that is thinking, oh no, what about Clark? What about Martha? What about yeah, the farm? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's like, uh, going now is terrible because Clark needs me to be there, right? Yeah, My son yeah. needs me to guide him in the future. Whereas the Zack Snyder one is like, nah, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Or it's not It's not even you'll be fine. It's supposed to be some kind of sacrifice, right? But, yeah. But it's not even a sacrifice. It's just stupid. Because... We know that Superman moves so fast 
that no one would see him move. Yeah, they would see Jonathan, but he could have just moved Jonathan somewhere else. Yeah. Or, and, or I, that he could, yeah. he, he could fair, have what, saved what him. If, what if 12 people in the heightened tension and terror of a tornado say they saw a kid run so fast that he rescued his dad from a tornado? Yeah. Like, who's going to believe anyone? And who's going to... That's not going to make worldwide news. Yeah. That's not going to be a Aliens Live Among Us story. It's just a... Yeah. It's just a you know, countryside folktale. And I'm pretty sure you could say oh. to those people, yeah, please don't, just don't say anything. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, people would, you know, well, humans are, uh, are terrible. But in that situation, I think uh, people are going to be so traumatized by what's going on. Are they even looking at Jonathan? They're probably looking at the massive fucking tornado. Yeah, yeah. But, you, that, know, you, they, know, you know, at least just... he does save the dog. I mean, it's not a completely pointless exercise. That's true. Join us on our, on our next podcast, Doggy Issues, where we talk about... <laughs> no, I, I can't even... No, no, there's no way we're doing that. I'm just about making it through no? Daddy Issues. The Doggy Issues okay. is a whole bigger a whole bigger kettle of fish. All right. Doggy style, dogging. <laughs> I don't know. There's going to be... We've got doggy a whole style. bunch of different... <laughs> well, their titles might need some work. But at, at, least, at least in the meantime, you've managed to destroy Man of Steel for me. So I appreciate that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Because all right, let's let's talk about the, the next Man of Steel scene, the one in Batman versus Superman, right? So Superman, uh, you know, it, his life is a bit crap. Lex Luthor is is making him look bad in the press, and for some reason, he's really taken that to heart because he's a Zack Snyder character. He hasn't he hasn't looked down at the world and gone, well, they can say really whatever they want. I'm going to keep doing the right thing. Instead, his mum, his Martha Wayne, said. So be the hero they need, Clark, or don't. You don't owe them a damn thing. Martha, what are you talking about? <laughs> don't tell him that. But you had like He is It's like it's like turning around to God and being like, you know what, you should just leave mankind to die. Like if, if have you watched Preacher? I haven't seen much of it. I've read I've a seen bit of it. Season one and I've I read I okay. got the first graphic novel, yeah. Yeah. Well you know in Preacher, the whole point of Preacher is that God is missing. Right, yeah. God is missing in preacher because Martha Kent told him to. <laughs> like you don't owe them a damn thing. So, so after being told that you know, forget humanity, whatever, Clark Kent climbs up a mountain for some reason, a mountain that's so dangerous that you know he maybe he's going to die. Except he's not going to die. He's Superman. It doesn't matter which mountain it is. He's still Superman. Yeah, he can walk so he up cl- as, uh, an Arctic mountain with this, you know. <laughs> it's not going to bother him. Yeah, he could have his, you know, his his dick swinging in the wind in, in, <laughs> Mount, Ev- in Mount Everest, and it's not going to bother him. Well, I don't imagine so, the Fortress of Solitude has got central heating, so I'm, I'm sure a cold it, doesn't really bother him too much. Exactly, exactly. So, what happens when they get to the top of when he gets to the top of that mountain? What does he see? He sees good old Jonathan Kent. He's doing, back. He's back. Somehow everyone. he's back. He's back and doing like typical Jonathan Kent farmer salt of the earth kind of stuff. He's like piling rocks, which I yeah. was, I'm not sure. I was just watching the clip before we started this. Like that's kind of like, that's how graves are marked, isn't it? In certain parts of the world. So mm. is, yes. he, is he building a tomb, a landmark to himself? Or is, is, is Clark just, he got to the top of the mountain, saw that someone had built this grave. So maybe somebody died on the mountain or whatever. And now he's imagining Jonathan Kent just doing something with his hands just to make it, so he's not just yeah. standing there like Jorette, like the, the um, projections of Jor-El on the uh, on the Kryptonian ship. He's all just sort of standing there with his hands across his chest, like I'm Russell Crowe. 
Commander. My my name is Jorel, commander of the armies of the north and servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, I'm getting my films mixed up. (laughs) Russell Crowe movies. And then when he's at the top, when uh, Clark Kent is at the top of the mountain with his hallucinatory father, his second hallucinatory father, he's, he's up there, his dad's burying himself maybe he's his body was flung up there by the tornado (laughs) (laughs) maybe he's still alive at the top of this mountain he just hasn't found his way down yet um so he's at the top of the mountain his dad tells him another heartwarming inspiring story to make him go back and be the the hope of humanity what does he tell him he tells him a story about how um like and when he was a kid a neighbor's farm was flooding so him and his his pop um, mm. ran down there and helped dig dig out some storm trenches to drain the water away from the, their neighbor's land and you know, save they saved their saved their land or whatever and he tells a little that little detail about when they got home his uh, clark's grandma baked him a hero pie or something to, and told him how great a hero he was and what they didn't know was that the water they'd redirected from their neighbor's farm ran to another farm flooded their land and drowned all their horses whilst yeah. Jonathan Kent was sat at home eating his pie and being called a hero. Yeah. And... <laughs> <laughs> what a fantastic, heartwarming story yeah. for all the family. Cheers, right? Dad. <laughs> Dad, I don't know if you know, I'm really going through something right now. Could you give me some solace yeah. or some advice? Yeah. Well, here's yeah, a story so about time... how I fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> here's... How about the time I drowned some horses? <laughs> Thanks, Dad. But no, of course, there is a point to that story. Okay, like, what's the moral? I what's hope. the moral of the of drowning the horses? Moral of drowning the horses. I think. <laughs> he, I guess he's trying to tell Clark that sometimes, no matter how hard you try to do the right thing, that things, some bad things that will happen out of your control, no matter what you do, and it's a matter of. And he tells a story about. He carries on the story to say when Clark asks him, "Did the nightmares ever stop?" Because Jonathan says they used to wake up hearing in the middle of the night hearing the horses wailing and shit which is traumatic can you imagine that yeah that's, yeah that's this, this is a superhero movie for kids remember yeah of course yeah um and yeah when clark asks what did the nightmares ever stop jonathan says it was when i met your mother when i met martha and like um, yeah. she she made me see that there was some hope left in the world and whatnot Ugh. which i suppose then inspires clark to be like that's true. Martha is pretty nice. Maybe I'll go back to being a hero again. I'm yeah. not quite sure that where the link lies there. But then there's that. There is a moment where there's a bit of a, a beat, and Jonathan says, "I miss you, son." Of course, this is imaginary Jonathan Kent in Clark's head saying, "I yes. miss you," and then Clark says, "I yeah. miss you too, Dad," and then he's gone. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Is, what's what's annoying me about this now, right now, Dom, is that that moment and the tornado moment like affect me, and they remind me of my own morality and my own shortcomings and they uh, you know they remind me that i feel and i'm not cold and dead inside i have an emotional compass <laughs> somewhere and in discussing them with you <laughs> you've ruined it now <laughs> now i'm all pragmatic and i'm and you know i'm seeing the logic behind things which is usually what i get accused of doing in other in my usual relationships but i in my relationships yeah. with superhero films that i can ignore that part of myself until but I that's... talk to Dominic about them, in which case it comes crumbling back down to reality. Yeah, that is because of my inner, my lack of heart, my, my <laughs> ice cold 
No, I, I... Yeah. Again, it's... It's one of the things that's so beautiful, as I was saying, what's so beautiful about that about the character of Superman is his simplicity in these situations. Yes, his actions have consequences. All actions should have consequences. And... You know, you you should do the right thing, even though doing the right thing can have consequences. Okay, that's a fine lesson to learn. Um, I think the problem here is the writing and the way in which these lessons are are being taught. Because the message that Jonathan Kent is trying to get across is not a terrible message. Except for, um, did the nightmares ever end? Yeah, they met. They ended when I met your mother. Okay, that sounds like a pretty, you know, a romantic thing to say, I guess. But what it's really saying is your humanity is tied to the one person that you love, right? And that is a dangerous message to be telling, especially for Superman, because these plot these plots were never like fully realized. But in Justice League, they were supposed to be done. Was that the only thing that connects? Clark Kent to humanity is Lois Lane. Yeah. In this world, right? And then where if Lois Lane were to die, Superman would have no connection to humanity, so he would I don't know conquer the world or do something terrible. But that's not the character if Jonathan Kent is good, right? If we have a good Jonathan Kent, Clark doesn't have a lack of humanity because he was raised as a human. He is a human who happens to be an alien. Right? He's not an alien who has come to Earth and then had to pretend to be human. He is human, but all of his alien characteristics are secondary to that. Um, and you know, in, in Kill Bill, there's that uh, that bit with, with Bill at the end. He's got uh, Uma Thurman uh, drugged or, or something stuck in the chair. And uh, Bill, go, go, Quentin Tarantino really, goes on a big rant about how Superman and Clark Kent are an interesting character because Clark Kent is how Superman views reality. He's this weak character who wears glasses and who is bumbling. And that is how Superman sees humanity, is as this weak, bumbling buffoon, basically. But I don't think that's necessarily... Oh, and the, the, the Superman is his, his reality, right? But that's not true because he didn't know he was Superman until he was uh, already a man. Until he developed these these amazing abilities. So he is always the person that his parents made him. He's not someone who will lose his humanity because people were saying nasty things about him in the newspaper, right? Like, he's a human who can do incredible things, but he's not going to turn his back on everyone just because, you know, they called him a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's another reason i i kind of like the, the smallville version is the smallville version is it's kind of a mixture between the two i think the richard donner one and the uh the Zack snyder one where he's a good old-fashioned kansas probably republican uh yeah. very christian you know he's he's the grown-up version of the old the old duke boys from the dukes of hazard because he is one of the dukes exactly of is that yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, very, yeah, it's yeah. like very resistant to to times changing and, and yes. help. He's very uh, independent and yes, but like, I'm sure he's got a Confederate flag somewhere. Yeah, but his Confederate flag isn't a racist thing. It's no. a holding on to the strength of our roots thing. Yeah, you know, For the right like reasons. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If I don't know if there is a right reason to have it, I'm not saying there is a right reason to have a Confederate flag. <laughs> but if he did have one, it's not because he's a massive racist. Maybe it's um, on the roof of his tractor. 
<laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. No, when he was younger, he probably had a Confederate flag painted on his. And then, as he got older, he realized, oh, okay, I see what this. And then he painted over it because I reckon that's what. As he grew out of that phase, um, yeah, I think he's somewhere in between our our two Jonathan Kent's our nineteen seventies one and our, our modern day yeah. dark take, where he's trying to protect the secret, but. Really, what he's trying to do is the right thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, we get another heart attack death with, with that Jonathan Kent there. Mm. But that one comes um, out, that... comes actually comes out of a moment of stress, not comes out of, like, a complete left-field yes. Yes. Um, moment of peace and clarity. Mm. Yeah, and it comes out of a moment of stress because someone knows Clark's secret. Yeah. And so we get a, a kind of a weaving of those two things. He's not prote- in trying to protect Clark's secret. He also dies. I guess. I guess that's fairly similar to to the uh, to the modern one. Yeah. Except for you know, there's there's a bit more subtlety going on there, and you know, the the life lessons I think are a bit better from from that one. But yeah, I think so. I think it was done quite well. I remember being. I guess that would have happened when I was when we were still fairly young. When, when that, yeah. That's whatever. I think that's season five. Smallville, yeah. so like, what, like 2006 or something? So, yeah, I would, I would have still been in my teens, and I think that would have, I think that did affect me a little bit, uh, mm. a little bit then. Especially because the thing with a TV series is you don't just get invested over with a character or a relationship over an hour or an hour and a half, however long it is into the film where this happens. You've had five years of Jonathan yeah. Kent yeah. Being, yeah. being the mentor and father to Clark Kent, and then he's, he's stripped away in a moment of, of drama and tension. Like that was, mm. and then but also obviously the just the terrible, uh, terribly uh, <laughs> uh, morose funeral scenes that follow and surround it. And oh my yeah. god, there are so many funeral scenes in that show; it's ridiculous. <laughs> for a show, for a show about Superman, an all-powerful being who can save people from death, like I, I'm pretty sure they're in a funeral every other episode. I don't know anyone who's been to as many funerals as those people, like. And it's always raining. It never rains in Kansas unless there's a funeral, and then like, you can count on it. You might be right there. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they just oh, they, well, they plan the funerals around the weather. So it's going to be raining on yeah. Sunday, so we'll have a funeral then for extra drama and pathos. Yeah, we'll just we'll just leave the corpse for a couple of weeks until it rains, and then then we'll get it done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, uh, we've got some time. Should we quickly talk about his other dad, Superman's other dad? We have. Jor-El, I think, is a, a pretty good counterpoint. He's usually used as a counterpoint to to the lessons and simple nature of Clark Kent because we have this traditional farm man, Clark Kent. He's lived in the same land as his family has for generations, you know, and he, he wants to pass the farm on to, to his son, but his son is destined for great things. And um, yeah, he's a very, uh, very classically American character. Then, on the other hand, we have Jor-El, the super scientist space alien, who builds a rocket to send his son fucking faster than the speed of light to yeah. Earth. He's um, like some kind of like warrior scientist based on the Man of Steel um, flashbacks. He's got, he's got like a giant yeah. suit of armor and he like takes down a bunch of soldiers. It's like, wait, isn't yeah. this guy a scientist? Yeah, and he flies on the back of a... Winged I don't know what that thing was. Yes, yeah. <laughs> a winged beast. Yeah, that's <laughs> a perfect definition. Yes, winged beast. Okay, so uh, let's start again with, with the, the Richard Donner version. So we have Jor-El is in it for about five seconds as 
played by Marlon Brando um, in the highest paid performance of all time, I think. Is that relevant? Uh, uh, sorry, in balance to the screen minutes or just... No, for, for any for anyone ever. Let me have a look. Marlon Brando, Superman. I think he got... Yeah, at this point, no one had ever been paid as much money for a role as Marlon Brando was paid uh, for that role as, as Jor-El. Does he actually do any, like, on-set stuff? Or is it all just, like, recordings in the... No, he does. He is he is on set at the beginning because they have that like white nightmare um, version of Krypton that is really horrible. Um, it's like a science fiction, yeah, like kind of uh, shit show, really. Um, <laughs> a science fiction shit show. <laughs> it is. Uh, he yeah he he asked for so much money to be in the role. That in Superman Two, they just took footage from him from Superman One and yeah. put it back in there again because they didn't want to. Uh, yeah, they didn't want to pay him again, so he sued them for like fifty million dollars or something. Um, did, did he win? I I'm not sure. Uh, oh, he asked for a salary of three point seven million dollars and eleven point seven five percent of the box office profits. Eleven percent. Yeah, so he earned nineteen million dollars for his role in um, in in Superman, which God, he's damn. in for like he's in for like four minutes, right? It, it's crazy how little he's in it. But uh, again, it's Marlon Brando. He's one of the greatest actors of all time. Yeah. I think what's 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 pretty good about this version of the character is that he's incredibly aloof and removed and. Um, He's not relatable, in, nowhere near relatable in the same way that, uh, you know, our heart attack Jonathan Kent is. Yeah. This guy, yeah, he he's, you know, the embodiment of everything that is science and advanced. And Yeah, well, in the way we talked about fathers, we see our fathers as gods up to a certain age. Like, he's that, he's the embodiment of that kind of... Um, yes. That kind of, uh, uh, what am I trying to say, representation of a father figure like he is this all-powerful disconnected being who provides um guidance but then also scolding <laughs> when mm. uh, when things don't go right he's, yeah he's only anything he doesn't do is bend him over and give him a smack bottom that's very true and then he calls clark to the fortress of solitude and, and he becomes superman and whatever which is great um yeah, I think Marlon Brando's version is pretty good. He's not in it very much. Is his role worth that amount of money? Eh. No, because uh, no. <laughs> this, yeah, this is no, the, I, the yeah. this is like the mental Marlon Brando era. Like this is this is way after like on the waterfront and Streetcar yes. Named Desire, where he made his name as like one of the greatest act- working actors, and he'd become old and fat by that point. It was just a thing, a bit of a crazy person. Yeah. So yeah, if, for sure. He, yeah, if he was at all balanced and well adjusted, he wouldn't be demanding millions of dollars just doing a few lines of dialogue in a superhero movie. Yeah, what's even better about that role? I I've forgotten about this. Was that he refused to memorize the uh, the dialogue? He refused to memorize the script. He was like, "This script is ridiculous. I'm not going to memorize it." So what they had to do was they <laughs> they had to write down his dialogue on like I don't know a bit of card on cue cards, and then show it to him so that he could read off the cue cards what he was supposed to say. Yes, yeah, so I mean, he's a nutcase. But then he in the Godfather did the same thing. 
when he uh, there's a famous photo of um, him op- acting opposite Robert Duvall, who was not on camera for the scene, but Robert Duvall was there to do his lines back to him. And Robert De- uh, Marlon Brando's dialogue is taped to the front of Robert Duvall's suit because <laughs> again, he just can be can be bothered to to, to memorize it, so he just read it off of his co-star. That's beautiful. I love and that. One more oh, yeah. Marlon Brando story just for lols. He um, yeah. when he did the score in like, 2004, whatever that was with Edward Norton, um, a lot of the scenes he shot were like him sat at a bar and he's like, well, if my lower half isn't going to be in the shot, I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> and he just refused to wear trousers. He would just show up to set in his pants and the top half of his costume and sit on this stool and be like, shoot me from the, ch- the waist up. <laughs> you know what I was saying earlier on about how, you know, when, when you're Superman... You know, you're you're above the morality of of humans, right? You're above the grey. <laughs> you just exist in, in in you know, you just exist in, in good and bad. Yeah. I feel like this is exactly the same thing for uh, for, for Marlon, Marlon Brando. Brando. <laughs> yeah, where where he's reached such a level of being Marlon Brando that he's like, I'm not even going to wear pants. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's like you saw the Godfather, you saw Apocalypse Now. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you know who I am, and I'm not wearing pants. <laughs> that is great. Okay, so I feel like his his version of the character is okay, but everything that cut co- the baggage that comes with it being Marlon Brando is a bit heavy handed. Smallville, I don't really remember. I think Jorel is just like a, a psychic voice. We don't see a body for him, at least as far as I watch. Maybe in later series you do, but that's uh, a good point. I, yeah, I don't remember what it was. I'm not. Yeah. I don't really remember Jorel much either. Yeah. Yeah. Then let's jump. Cast. Sorry, no. Let's jump. St- yeah, let's jump straight over to um to uh Russell Crowe. <laughs> Russell Crowe, fresh out of an Australian bar fight, straight into Krypton. Um. <laughs> oh, sorry. I just realised Terence Stamp did the voice of Jor El in Smallville. Did he? Oh, he was Zod. He was Zod in was the, Zod uh, the uh, in the Superman. One, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that he... is cool. How about that? Terence Stamp is awesome. He's a really great actor. I love Terrence Stamp. Anyway, sorry, what okay, were you saying? Yeah, yeah, moving past it, moving past it. I was just going to spend the next two minutes thinking about Terrence Stamp. But we'll, <laughs> we'll, leave, we'll leave him behind uh, and kneel before Zod later and go straight over to, yeah, to, to Russell Crowe. Um, so we have Russell Crowe facing off against that amazing actor whose name I can never remember. Michael Shannon. The guy who plays Zod. Michael Shannon. I love Michael Shannon. I love him so much, I can't even remember his name. That's how much, <laughs> I, how much I know. I think he is, perf- he is perfect casting for Zod. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah, he's really great. What do you think about Russell Crowe um, as Superman's alien dad on an alien world, looking like an alien man who still is the same as Russell Crowe and everything else he's been in? <laughs> well, I liked I liked that they gave him a bit of um, some. I like they gave him something to do besides yeah. being a disembodied head or a disembodied voice. Just they gave us a bit of a sense of who he was and what he went through in order to get Clark off of Krypton. Um, mm. So yeah, I mean it's fine. I've got, I'm I guess I'm ambivalent to it. I have no strong feelings about it. But I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And that moment, I don't know if we talked about it off pod, which is our new favorite catchphrase off pod. <laughs> I don't know if we talked about it before, where there's a, where he's doing all of his science bits, and then Jorel and his dudes show up to apprehend him because they're they're performing a coup of the planet, and you're like, oh wow, this is not going well for the the L, the House of L, and then yeah. Jorel just like busts out some Kryptonian kung fu shit and takes out like three soldiers 
and you're like, oh, okay, and then he puts on like a giant suit of armor. <laughs> yes, this is, yes. This is a different kind of uh, Jor-El than we've seen before. Yes, this is definitely a Zack Snyder Jor-El. And what's really interesting about this version of Superman is that they very heavily lean into the uh, the idea of sterility and cloning that has been done in the comics but never really touched on in the movies or the cartoons. This idea that Krypton was very much like a Rome a Roman Empire at its, you know, at its peak. Like it, it's yeah, it's it, declining. And it feels yeah, very much people... like that in Man of Steel, actually. With that, the whole yes. council of, like, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. Very much like It's that. like, the, the, yeah, the Empire is literally crumbling apart. Like, the Kryptonian race can no longer uh, even have children. They have to clone. And so uh, everyone is, is split into different, uh, different roles. Like, your role is assigned at birth. You are born and raised as a soldier, which brings uh, an interesting character di- dimension to Zod, which they touch on but don't ever develop enough, I, which really annoys me, is that in this movie we have Zod is a soldier who wants to rebuild Krypton because and save Krypton because that is what he was born to do. It is literally in his DNA. Like, every action he takes here isn't because he's a villain. It's because this is how he was created. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I really like that, and I wish that they had kind of let on that a little bit more. Uh, then we see the scientist, uh, Jor-El, Russell Crowe. He's a scientist who is also a soldier? Who is like, like surely, if we were looking at a, a scientist guy, he would not be capable of the superhero action star we are like what what where does this come from in the character he seems to be vastly capable of things that he should not be capable of well um, maybe it's the the fact that he isn't just a regular scientist if he, if he was assigned to the science as uh, from birth he's obviously advanced to the heights of whatever that they are capable of as as a race right i mean he's been they talk about how no natural birth has occurred on krypton for generations and yet he has managed yeah. To do so with Lara, is it Lara? Yeah, Lara. yeah, yeah. So he, I kind of imagined that he's taken it upon himself because he probably knew what was coming. He knew Krypton was going down the tubes, yeah. so he's probably taken it upon himself to learn a bit of physicality because he knew at some point it would it would come to that. Yeah, I guess he is a man who is seeing like he's pulling out all the stops because the world is coming to an end. And yeah. no one is listening to him. And there's there's literally only one thing to do now. It's I think it just for me, it's a shame. Like I really like again that element of the character, but I wish they could have shown it more in terms of like sheer the sheer determination of this character. Because the problem I have there is that we see that he is vastly capable of ridiculously incredible things, right? So when we find out that, you know, Clark Kent is Superman, it's like, well, yeah, did you see what his dad could do when he didn't even have superpowers, right? Whereas if we had seen Jor-El really struggling to do all of those things, like he, at the end, he actually beats Zod in a fist fight. Yeah. Right? And then Zod, like, only kills him because of some sneaky... You know, like he does some sneaky stuff, and that—that's what allows him to best him. But there's, if in people who are you eug- bred through eugenics and through cloning, 
a scientist should never be beating a soldier, especially a general, <laughs> yeah. in this in this kind of situation, right? So yeah, I think there is there is too he's been given too many heroic things. It should have been like he tries to fight Zod and he just he he's doing what he can. He's holding him off because he's determined to save his son, but like he's never gonna beat Zod. He just can't. It's Zod, right? That's yeah, yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I have problems with Zack Snyder. Have you noticed this over the last couple of episodes? <laughs> I've yeah, he's I've I've lost a bit of faith in in Mr. Snyder, to be honest. But you have to have some sympathy for his situation. Yeah, well, yeah, he's got some some daddy's issues of his own, which is a, a real yeah, that's a real a real shame. Um, yeah, a real tragedy. Yeah. yeah, Christ. But let's Great. not get stuck down. Let's not get stuck down in real actual daddy issues because. <laughs> Then, then everything falls apart if we do that. Then we'll be crying and we'll have to message Zack Snyder and I'll have to apologise for all the critiques I have of his movies. Which is, yeah, yeah, that's, that's another thing altogether. Okay, well, I feel like we've touched on a lot of the Jonathan Kent and Jor-El stuff. Are there, is there anything else you have to say about these two father figures? What, what about their impact on you? We, last time with, with Thomas Wayne, we said... Which one of these, of, of the Thomas Waynes, do you feel uh, is closest to your father? Which one of the, the Jonathan Kents and the jor do you feel is, is closest to your dad? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I suppose, I think if I analyse why the, um, Kevin Costner's Jonathan Kent affected me so much, it might be because I've kind of been confused by my dad's life lessons to me sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And Has your dad ever been like, no, I'm going to stand in this tornado? <laughs> no. Well, no, luckily, luckily not. Um, okay. But the, I mean, I can't think of any, many other instances. I think the, the Smallville Jonathan Kent, uh, I suppose he was quite heroic and, and kind of in a man's man way. Just got on and did man's things. He was like, you said, salt of the earth. Just got on with it and, you know, he was heroic in a smaller way, whereas in, we see a bit of that in Man of Steel, but then we have that big moment where he sacrifices himself to save a dog, and that's sweet. Hmm. So I suppose in the, in the sense that I'm still getting over my uh, my perception of my dad as a superhero or as what, <laughs> whatever. So I think it's, it, maybe it's, it's Kevin Costner's Jonathan Ken. I, I can't say that I really get... I suppose that actually, if I'm thinking about the, I, I'm obviously I'm obsessed with Man of Steel apparently because that's all I'm thinking about. But um, yeah. Russell Crowe's Jor-El has that kind of um, intelligence, I suppose, which I would I find intimidating in in father figures. Oh, um, you find it intimidating in father figures? Yeah, because it it's, it becomes harder to impress someone like that. I think Interesting. I, I think maybe I'm speaking for just only for myself, but I think we're all trying to impress our fathers to some degree. Oh, um, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, and even if you have, you're estranged from your father or you hate your father, you probably want to impress him just to show him up. But mm. if you look up to your father, like like some people, like other people do, and I don't know I do, it becomes a bit of a stressful thing to think about whether that's going to make your father proud of you or not, or whether <laughs> he's going to understand what you're doing or, or whatever, mm. so... Yeah, I think I must. There must be something in that because I mean, I've actually. It's, I don't know if this is a strange thing to say, but I've always related to the Superman character in 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 some way, um, or whether it, maybe it's Clark Kent, I don't know. But I've always had a bit of an affinity for the character. I can re- certainly relate to that character a lot better than I can relate to Batman. Um, 
or, or a lot of other superheroes. Um, I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure why. Why that is, I don't know. Maybe it's a bit of an outsider syndrome. Um, alien walking among us, among us, trying to blend in. Um, but yeah, so I think both of his father figures kind of combine to form some kind of uh, mirror to my own my own life. I think so. Mm. Yeah, I find that very interesting. And what what began as just a little quick bonus episode has kind of turned into a, <laughs> another another diatribe that we've gone on for a, a good fifty minutes. Yeah, so we, so we obviously yeah. have lots to explore. <laughs> I don't know. I find it difficult. Difficult to pick it out. Um, I don't feel that that either my dad or my stepdad have that that kind of intellectually superior attitude. That same kind of thing that that you're talking about there. Um, I don't really feel that in either of them. Um, I think they're both definitely Jonathan Kent characters but they're okay. just different it, they're different iterations of that jonathan kent i can't put my fingers on which maybe if I, I were to put them together they would probably be closest to the smallville jonathan kent i think because in in that character we see someone who is a bit more conflicted uh, in that in when jonathan kent dies in smallville he's just been running for senator or state senator or, or yeah. whatever right to you know he's like even though his son is superman and they're trying to hide that fact. He's drawing public attention to himself because he feels that it's the right thing to do. Um, and I feel like that sense of doing the right thing uh, is something that I definitely associate with with both of uh, both of my father figures. Yeah. Um, n- neither of them have died of heart attacks, thank Christ. So uh, that's not something that I particularly relate to with them. But yeah, I definitely see the yeah the two of them as being. Um, yeah, moral. Uh, yeah, that kind of moral guide, rather than someone who is. Uh, I don't know. I'm not really sure the role that that uh, Jorel plays. I guess it's it's coming to know the the parts of yourself that are true, but that you don't understand, right? John. Yeah. Jonathan Kent tries to to help you understand yourself as you grow up, but there are always parts of your of self discovery that you can't you do like long into being an adult. Um, I feel like that Jorel character is maybe maybe Jorel is a representation of what we were saying earlier about you after you see your father for the person who he is as you try and you know discover your own masculinity, decide the man that you want to be. You've you've had your father's guidance, but now it's time to decide who you're going to be for yourself. Will you be the kind of man that your father has has raised you to be? Or is there some is there another path that you have in mind? Yeah. Um, I think yeah. Jorel if... is a good part of of that decision, I think. Yeah. I I wonder now I'm just thinking now, I wonder if Jonathan Kent represents the father you have as you grow and as you develop and you know from child who brings you from through your childhood into being a young adult and then Jorel is more like the mentor that you have as an adult who teaches you mm. how to function as a man in mm. in the world as opposed to giving you all the right moral lessons you need to you know to develop your sense of morality and your sense of right and wrong right? Mm. So, yeah they kind of divide Jorel comes back into Clark Kent's life when he's an adult, as we've said. So, and Jonathan Kent left his life when he was young. So he, they kind of there's only this little gap in the middle there between 
you know, oh, it's a bit like in the Bible. Whoa, whoa, are you ready for this? <laughs> oh, Christ. <laughs> no. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Christ. <laughs> you know, up to a certain age, Jesus Christ was raised by Joseph the carpenter, and then there's this weird gap in the Bible between when he's told that he's the son of God and he will save all of humanity, yeah. and then when he's like 13 or whatever, and then he suddenly, the next part, time you see Christ in the in the Bible, he's like 30. And now he's mm. being, um, you know, his mentor is God himself. So there's this kind of a slight parallel between Joseph the Carpenter, man of the man of the earth, working class hero, and mm. Jonathan Kent, and then the all powerful godlike being that is Jor-El with the Christian God. That's weird. Yeah. Isn't it? That, and no, as, well, uh, yeah, as it, well as having that gap in the middle between. So we never really see, apart from, I guess, Smallville kind of bridged it, what Clark gets up to when he has neither Jonathan Kent nor Jor-El. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's very close, but it's interesting. I think in Smallville, Jor-El arrives a little bit before Jonathan Kent dies. But yeah, I, 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 yeah. yeah I like that idea that Jor-El doesn't reveal himself, essentially, until Jonathan Kent dies. It's that same thing we spoke about in the first the first episode, we say yeah, you don't you don't become your own man until the death of your father. Well, Clark Kent was always following what Jonathan Kent thought he should do. Clark was always following what his father taught him until his father dies, and then he has to discover himself. Um, but in discovering himself, he discovers his biological father. Yeah. I guess. Um, well, yeah, which is interesting. I think what you said is a really a really nice parallel to to the Bible story. But also, if there is no Joseph, if there is no Jonathan Kent, then you don't have that humble salt of the earth messiah figure that you need. You have that the arrogance that and uh no but that the arrogance that comes with power, that comes with being yeah. raised and knowing that you are, you know, knowing how powerful you are going to be and the things that you are capable of, of course you would see everybody else as being you know, a lower being to you. If you are like the son of God, everyone else is, well, what are they? You know, they're, you know, they're just creations. You're the only person in existence that wasn't you know, descended from sin. So, yeah, you need, that, you need that human father figure there to make sure that when, you're, you, know, when you become your own man, when you leave their shadow, that... Um, yeah, you can step forward as someone worthy of that power, like Thor, rather than being, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. Nice you need you need to be you need to be adult Thor, not not young Thor, where he's all arrogant and a douchebag. Yeah, don't be a douchebag. Yeah. Is the, the the overriding message of the whole? <laughs> it is. That's that's. If there was one lesson that Jonathan Kent tried to teach his son, it was don't be a douchebag. I think. Yeah, and sometimes a bus full of kids drowning is okay. <laughs> you don't always have to save them. Look, do any of them know your Do any of them know your secret? Two of them do. Just push them back in. Save the bus. Take the bus out. Just push them. Put put their heads just back underwater, and just 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 whistle a little tune until they stop struggling. Yeah. The lessons of Jonathan Kent. There we go. <laughs> Which is just one quick last know. thing in terms of the morality of. Of, uh, of Clark Kent and where it comes from and we yeah. talked about um, in the last episode uh, Batman choosing a, a, the, the non-lethal band, brand of justice because 
you know, his parents were murdered in front of him, so he's completely against that. And the, the, there was all that the controversy around Man of Steel, where he's at an impasse with Zod. Um, you can't beat him physically until there's that moment where, yeah, he he decides that the only way to he can't um, restrain Zod. He can't yeah. bring him in for you know he's, he can't um, take him in for questioning or he can't be tried the only way to stop him is to kill him and that goes against his whole morality and that moment where he makes that decision and snaps his neck and he cries to the heavens i think that that i think that that's always got to me a bit as well because i guess guess it felt like i didn't want to have to ever do this like i didn't this is completely against what my father taught me and that pain in him that he he goes that far I think is quite related to um, the lessons of his father. Mm. But anyway, I just wanted to bring this touch on that before we yeah. we wrap up. Yeah, but is it though? See, that's my problem with that moment is I don't feel there is ever a part in that movie where Jonathan Kent is like, all life is sacred and you have the ability to to you know crush anything like a bug, but you have a responsibility to be better than that. Oh, well, I don't true. feel like yeah. that, that. There's that bit where he gets a bit bullied, and Jonathan Kent basically says, "Yeah, you should have just smacked him." <laughs> I don't think he says. I don't think no, he says, don't that, think he but, say that. But yeah, but I, it's kind of like again, it's that same thing where I don't. I never really connect his upbringing to that moment because again, the again, it's the same thing with the bus, right? It's like there is no. They are yeah. operating in so such a moral grey. His father is like is is so encompassed in this in this the black and white dynamic that when it comes to fighting Zod, why does he why is he so upset about it? His dad was more than willing to let Lana Lang, you know, cop it. So why is he so upset when it's Zod? Zod just that's killed true. everybody. I think that's so why is he upset say, about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely right because I think there's something to be said about how many times we have to revisit an origin story of a character with every new movie that comes out, every new iteration of it. Cause I, I guess I'm taking, and I guess Zack Snyder's assuming that everyone is taking that morality from other, like we've all know Superman's morality at this point. Like we've, maybe he tried to show a little bit of where it comes from with that bullying scene, but it really feels, yeah, you're right. You're right. You've brought this to my attention now that it doesn't actually in the the context of that one movie, that is not laid out, mm. that is not seeded before. It's just, are you kind of, as a someone who's seen a Superman movie before, or like we are fans who are into it to, in the greater yeah. universe, we know that that's not really what he would do. And the fact that he does it because out of desperation, he feels like he has to and it pains him. We go, oh yeah, of course, because Superman wouldn't want to do that. But yeah. then actually, yeah, you're right. Within the framework of the film, that is not... That doesn't pay off any kind of uh, setup. No, there's oh, like man. you know the the you know the the chat. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know the idea of Chekhov's gun, right? From the the Russian playwright Chekhov of, no, of no, the seagull and and the cherry orchard. Well, the idea of Chekhov's gun is he's a, a Russian play playwright from the the late nineteenth century, and uh, Chekhov's gun was is an, a, a storytelling motif which is pretty you know. Ev- Everyone uses it, whether they know it or not, really. But the idea of Chekhov's gun is if in the first act of your story you show a gun, by the end of the the 
the play or the film, that gun has to have been fired, right? It, right. You don't you don't uh, highlight something or establish something if it doesn't pay off. So it doesn't always have to be a gun, but like uh, Pixar movies are perfect for this. The reason that Pixar movies are so predictable story-wise is because they check off gun everything. Everything is established in the movie, and you know that if they are highlighting something, that they, it is going to pay off later. Um, and that is feel that is how that scene is trying to play out, right? We are having this great climactic battle at the end that has emotional stakes because it's supposed to have been Chekhov gunned. That fight at the end where he has to kill somebody is supposed to call back to earlier in the film yeah. where he is told killing people... You can kill people, but you are better than that, right? And that never happens. So this payoff is paying off nothing because it's not established that that life is something he holds sacred. In fact, Superman doesn't hold life sacred in that movie because he just lets his dad die. What would have been better in that film is if the tornado is coming, right? Jor-El is, a, Jor-El, Jor-El is about to be killed by the tornado. <laughs> Jonathan, Jonathan Kent is about to be killed by the tornado, about to be sucked up. He, he, Jonathan Kent makes his choice to sacrifice his life because that's what that scene is showing is Jonathan yeah. Kent is willing to put his life, you know, his life is not important as important as his son's. So he sacrifices himself. Great. What should have happened there is Clark Kent saves him anyway. Right, he's there. He's about to get hit by that tornado. His father, this whole time, his father has been like, "You've got to keep your secret. You've got to protect yourself." But he disobeys his father. He saves him from that tornado, and then Jonathan Kent's like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Life is more important. Other people's lives, other lives are more important than any secret." And then, then after that, we show Jonathan Kent being sick and dying, right? After. So even though Superman saved him from that tornado, it that action was important, but it didn't save him forever because life still happens. Nature still takes its course, um, which would have established that Superman is willing to go against his father's wishes for the greater good, but also that he can't save everyone, even if he saves you once. The world is still the world. If you are alive, it still means you are going to die. And then we, then his father's death establishes a love for life. So at the end of the movie, when he has to kill Zod, we understand that he doesn't want to kill anybody because everyone's lives are important, no matter how short they are, no matter who that person is. Um, and they could have taken more time to establish the importance of Kryptonians to Superman. He's the last of his race. He's convinced that there aren't any more like him. And then they appear out of the sky and he just fights them. He doesn't really... There's like a, one dialogue scene on the deck of the ship where he's like, oh, uh, we should try and work it out. And Zod's like, yeah, we're going to work it out. And then Zod kills him, right? It's like... It's... If they had established that Superman doesn't want to fight the Kryptonians because there aren't any of them left and it's really important that they save this race because that's what his other father would have wanted then and superman you know killing zod is traumatic because it's killing the last of his people um there's a lot you have to imply from the movie that you can't get from the storytelling of the movie from the language of the film that it's not giving you you have to call upon oh well he's superman and Superman doesn't like killing people. Like, that's what you have to pull from the, the law 
but the movie takes so much time going against the law um up until that point that i don't know for me it just yeah yeah i think i think you're probably right but yeah that all that would have made it better (laughs) <laughs> the only thing I could think of is that you know with, um, with uh, Batman vs Superman and probably with um, Justice League 2 Justice League as well rather um, yes Zach's, the full version is much longer than the version we ever get to see and with at least with Dawn of Justice there was an ultimate edition where it included everything mm. Zack Snyder wanted to include and it made the story make more sense perhaps there was a, a longer cut of Man of Steel where these things were seeded properly and paid off properly mm. but you know he wasn't allowed to include it or you know but yeah, you're right. In terms of what we get to see, um, that all of your suggestions would have improved it. <laughs> I'll, I'll concede. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah. It's such a dark representation of what should be a light character. The symbol on his chest means hope. That is what the the S is. A you know, it's not actually an S. It's a Kryptonian. The the symbol of the House of L, a symbol that means like. You know, to be hopeful for the future. Like, so why is it so... Why is he willing to let his dad die like that? Um, yeah. That's that's what I take away from that moment, right? It's, it's not the decision that Jonathan Kent makes. It's the failure of his son. The cowardice of his son. Jonathan Kent has put has said, no, your life is worth more than mine. That is an understandable sacrifice for a father to make, right? Like, we, we understand that a father is willing to do that for their children, that parents are willing to, to give their own life to say, like, that's, an, that's built into our revolution, that you are willing to give your life to protect your offspring. But for the son to just stand there and do nothing, um, yeah, that. Yeah, it, it it actually makes me angry for for the, the reason we're doing this podcast for the opposite reason. Like Clark has made a decision to let his father die. And in what world is a son justified in letting his father die when he has the ability to save him and not really a good reason not to? Yeah, that's, I, I see what you mean. But I take it the other way. I take it as a tragedy. I take it that he did what he was told when he probably shouldn't have done. And now he's got to live with that for the rest of his life. And that was a mistake. And he probably has gone on, lived his life thinking I should, like, there's no, there's no um, version of that. He's played out in his mind where he goes, no, maybe I would have, I would have stayed under the bridge. Like in every version he's recounted, he would rather have saved him. And that mistake kind of, I suppose maybe adds to his humanity a little bit. Like he isn't this um, perfect being who always makes the right decision. Like even, uh, going all the way back to his formative years, he still mm. made an error because he was just being a good son and doing as he was told when mm. that was a moment where he could have become a man. And like you said, if he had taken matters into his own hands, done what he thought was right, that would have maybe been a bit of better, a better, a better um, part of his arc. It would have taken us along with him a bit, a bit smoother. But yes, yeah, I definitely see what you're coming from. Yeah. Just a, a little extra thing to close out after the intensity of that. Uh, Marlon Brando, back during the, the filming of, of Superman, um, the movie was supposed to be shooting in Rome, in Italy, uh, with sets were being made and tests were, were being done. They were trying to, you know, trying to 
test for Superman to fly, but the, the flying test wasn't working. Anyway, then they tried to get uh, Marlon Brando in to come and to start shooting in Italy. But then they found out when they tried to get him in, he couldn't film in Italy because there was a warrant out for his arrest after a sexual obscenity charge from a previous movie. Oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> that is such a perfect Marlon Brando story. Classic you pay, Marlon. You've paid him 11, sorry, $19 million to be in your film and he can't even film it because there's a warrant out for his arrest. Mwah. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> Okay, well, does that bring our, our Daddy Issues episode to a close? I think so, yeah. But can't think of much else. Covered no, it, perfect. Covered it, we've covered it pretty well, I think. I think so. Yeah, but this ended up going on for much longer than I thought it would. You were right. Yeah, um, this is a whole, new, whole full episode in itself. It has, it has. What do you want to talk about next time? Oh, well, I don't know. I'm, I'll be afraid to mention anything now in case you're like, let's do it right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think what we should do is we've... Uh, in in the first episode, what did we look at in the first episode? Oh, Lion, Lion King. King, of course, of course, Lion King. Uh, we've done a, a really great animated movie. We've done super, two superhero movies. I would like to go back to to do another animated film. This time, I would like to to pick up a, a Pixar one, as they really kind of refined those those storytelling uh, techniques that the Disney were playing with. Uh, I want to take a look at Finding Nemo, which is the classic father son. Uh, adventure story i guess do you fancy finding nemo yeah definitely let's do that yeah all right then next time we will look and undoubtedly cry at finding nemo (laughs) undoubtedly and guaranteed (laughs) thank you for listening to to daddy issues oh uh what are people supposed to say uh you are sir you you have to if you have listened to all of this you have to like it you have to share it you have to subscribe to whatever platform you are listening to this on uh give it to your friend give it to your dad and tell him uh you think that he's not worth the 19 million dollars that they paid for marlon brando whatever it is that gets more people listening to this uh thank you for listening uh bye goodbye for now